1: Content is king. And if we produce good content that speaks to people's needs clearly uh, and deals with their attitudes and interests, then it will find audience, whatever the platform that evolves in the future.
0: Did you know there's a satellite fed Christian television ministry reaching millions of people in the Middle East and North Africa? We'll meet the founder and president of Sat7 in just a few moments here on First Person. Welcome to this week's edition. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Each week we tell the stories of people who are totally committed to Christ and His kingdom. Sometimes you may recognize their name and sometimes you may not, but all know Christ as Savior and have been called to serve Him with their unique calling and purpose. To learn more and to draw upon our archive of past interviews, visit us online at firstpersoninterview.com. Terence Terry Ascot has lived in the Middle East and served as the leader for indigenous media ministries for more than 40 years. In 1995, he, along with Middle Eastern Christian leaders, launched Sat7, the first Arabic-language Christian satellite television channel, a pioneering ministry that is bearing much fruit. Terry joined me on the phone from his home in Cyprus recently, and I asked him what excites him today about the Middle East.
1: Well, I think the the huge changes that have taken place over the last few decades, especially since the Iranian Revolution, um, before that, there seemed to be disinterest or hostility to the Christian faith, at least, um, in in many places, including Iran. But today, we're seeing an amazing openness to the gospel. Uh, And I think there's many reasons for that, one of them being... The Arab uprisings, the disappointment that followed that, and then the bloodshed across the Middle East, especially since 2011. We've seen Muslims killing Muslims in the name of their common God. We've seen people losing hope and trust in all forms of authority, especially religious authority. And so we see this massive turning away from traditional religion in the Middle East, people becoming deists, for example. Mm. They believe in God, but they don't accept the mullahs, they don't accept their religion in Iran or Turkey. And interestingly, a study that was done by a Turkish theologian, Muslim theologian, showed that the more authoritarian and religious the authority, the more people are turning away from God. So especially this is especially true in Saudi Arabia, in Iran, in Turkey, where you have this... Um, AK Party, which is very pro-Islamic and so on, and was supporting the Muslim Brotherhood in in different countries. And so people are looking for authenticity. Some have turned to ancient religions, like Zoroastrianism. Mm -hmm. Some have even become atheists, which, an atheist is an apostate, who under law in many countries could be executed for apostasy. And then some have found hope in Christ. I think the, the radical teachings of Christ about love and forgiveness that break this endless cycle of an eye for an eye that is destroying the region resonates today with people in a way that probably it did in the first century, Palestine.
0: That is a uh, very so- interesting perspective. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited to talk more about that in a moment, but I want to switch gears and go back to your own story Uh, Is it okay Mm. to call you Terry, by the way? It's Dr. Ascot, I know. uh, (laughs) Yeah, please. I know you're known around the world as Terry. Um, Your own faith journey and your life starts in the U.K., correct?
1: That's right. Yes, I was born in a suburb of London. Um, Interestingly, my father was strongly against the church and hated religion, so I had this very negative feedback Mm. about religion when I was growing up. And it was only in my mid-teens when I went to a boys' camp where I first heard the gospel, and that changed my life. And interestingly, the discussions with my father uh, strengthened my faith, uh, because I had to defend it from very early on. I was baptized into a Baptist church. I eventually connected with Operation Mobilization, who set up their headquarters just a few miles Yeah from where I lived. Of course, and,
0: our friend George Verwer.
1: Yes, uh, he's in his early 80s still going very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was studying civil engineering, I, uh, after I graduated and had worked for a couple of years, I felt God calling me to spend a year with OM. And I thought I was going to India, actually. But um, God had other plans, and they said you need you go to Beirut, you've got some publishing experience. Because I, I had got involved in Christian publishing during my student days, publishing student materials. So I, I thought, well, where's Lebanon? Where's Beirut? And I had to look on a map to find out, oh, it's there. Oh, yeah, okay. So uh, a few weeks after I got married, my wife and I moved to um, Lebanon after working for a short time in Eastern Europe, where, where I'd spent several summers during the Cold War.
0: And this is before the civil war in Lebanon? Yes, yes. It was
1: 1972, 73. It was all very wonderful and peaceful and uh, a lot of openings and opportunities. And we were publishing material for the OM teams to distribute across uh, different countries in the Arab world. And also began a book publishing program aiming to get Christian books into secular bookshops in different countries. We began doing some research into what people were reading, and it was a bit sad, because the average person in 1974 in the Arab world spent two seconds a year reading a book <laughs> that was not, not required for academic purposes. And So we looked at what were they reading, and it turned out it was magazines. But the magazines were all heavily subsidized by political groups, religious groups. So we set about designing uh, a magazine that could be sold on the newsstands that would have sensitive low-key christian content but it would at least be a door opener and then the civil war began and things began to fall apart the post office didn't deliver any letters and and we didn't have fax or cell phones or anything in those days except you know mail or Mm -hmm. telegrams Mm -hmm. Uh, the electricity became irregular the roads were insecure we we had two car bombs uh, over a course of a month and a half that took out all the windows in our office and my home. Um, people were being kidnapped and executed. Uh, my wife was expecting our first child, and we didn't know if it would be safe to get to the hospital on the night or the day that she was going to deliver. Anyway, eventually, my son was born, the only birth in the American University Hospital in Beirut during one of the heaviest nights of shelling, mm that went on, and uh, five days later we evacuated from Beirut and went to Jordan. We were actually hoping to get a ferry uh, to Egypt from Syria, but they were all full, so we spent Christmas living in a car garage with a a one-week-old baby, uh, and we were headed for Egypt. I felt a bit like Joseph and Joseph and Mary moving with baby (laughs) from the dangerous area to Egypt. Uh, And we eventually got there in early January. Then we went to Egypt in the early part of 76 um, and came into contact with some amazingly gifted Christians in the country, writers, artists, um, editors. And we put together a team and produced a newsstand magazine that was called uh, He and Sheep. In English, that's the translation. Mm-hmm. And that was sold eventually on the newsstands in 14 Arab countries with a readership of well over half a million
0: Wow!
1: for more than 25 years. And it was really exciting. But one night when I was walking home in the early 1980s, I I came to um, my house just before I got to my house, which is my home is on the sixth floor of an apartment block. I, I stopped to look at an amazing sight that really changed the direction of my ministry. And that was, um, they started to build a new apartment block right next to where I lived. And they had dug excavation, excavated the foundations and they bought rebar and sand and cement. And these were all piled up by the road. And, and they had a night watchman and he lived there with his wife and three kids. And they had nothing, just a They lived under a strip of tarpaulin to keep the sun off. They had a few cooking utensils. Um, The kids would play in the piles of sand. But then tonight, when I came home, they were sitting watching a little black-and-white TV set. Hmm. And this was wired across the building site into a sympathetic neighbor's PowerPoint. And I just stood there in amazement because this, this family had nothing. They had no... nothing. They lived literally on the street, on the edge of the road. And here they were watching television. And I thought, yeah, more than half of the Egyptians at that time could not read the front page of a newspaper. They were functionally illiterate. They, some of them had been to school, but only for a year or two. And if we were ever going to make the gospel available to the masses in the Middle East, to women who were very high on the illiterate level, because they don't get given the educational opportunities for for kids, for non-readers, as well as illiterate people, there are many people that just don't read, then you're going to have to use the visual media. And that was quite a challenging time for me, because I appreciate Christian radio, it's words. I appreciate the printed matter, it's words. But television, it's got all kinds of problems. (laughs) It makes... What's implicit in the Bible, explicit. Yes. We don't know what Jesus yeah. looks like, but we're going to show you what Jesus looks
0: like.
1: <laughs> now, did you have um, you know, any
0: experience in television at all at this point?
1: No. Only negative experiences of seeing some awful Christian television where people were emotionally manipulating their audiences and the money I uh, had all kinds of negative baggage about television. Um And I could give a whole lecture on that, but I won't now. (laughs) But eventually, you know, it was so clear that we had to mitigate for the weaknesses of television. You know, the superficiality of having a pretty face to go on television, of wearing makeup and sitting in front of an artificial set to tell the truth. All these things bothered me enormously, but it had to be used as a, a medium if you're going to touch the lives of so many untouchable, unreachable people in our part of the world.
0: More about this ministry in the Middle East and North Africa as we continue to talk with Terry Ascot on First Person. I'm Ed Cannon. The Far East Broadcasting Company partners with First Person because we celebrate the stories of people everywhere who have given their lives to Christ and serve Him. Our broadcasters in 50 countries of the world hear stories every day of people whose lives are transformed by the gospel and who have faithfully been taught God's word. In addition to First Person, I'm pleased that Wayne and I host a podcast, and we invite you to join us. Listen to Until All Have Heard at febc.org. That's febc.org. We're talking with Dr. Terrence Ascott, who is founder and president of SET7. If you don't know about SET7, it's incredible ministry through television and so much more in the Middle East and North Africa with amazing spiritual results. I urge you to go to our website and find the links there to SET7, and Dr. Ascott for that matter, and learn more about what's going on there. But Terry, you were talking about um, being exposed to seeing that television um being watched by someone in Egypt. I know there's a whole lot more to the story. You had to leave Egypt eventually, but let, let's get to the point where Set 7 as a vision came into your mind from the Lord. What? How did that happen? What What else occurred there?
1: Um, in 1986, they launched Arab Set, which was actually supposed to be to connect national television services across the Arab world. It was owned and operated by the Saudis. Um... But, in fact, it was never used because it was too much political disagreement. It was only used for telephone traffic. But, it, it, for me, it flagged up a new opportunity. That is to broadcast television programs from low-Earth orbit into millions of homes without censorship. I'd lived in the Middle East by that time for 15 years with everything having to go through censorship whether it's a magazine, a book, um, a videotape, anything. Mm -hmm. So this, to me, was exciting. Here we had this opportunity to use the visual media and to go into homes across the region and share the Christian faith without being censored. Now, as I began to share this in the late 1980s, people looked at me as if I just landed from Mars and (laughs) had no idea about the real world. Um, But... I guess it was the launch of um one of the Saudi satellite channels from London. They couldn't do it from Saudi Arabia, a sort of news channel, NBC, that was modeled on CNN but in Arabic. When that began to broadcast, and then people began to buy dishes, then I began to get a little bit more sympathy, but still people looked at me, okay. Saudi's got the money, they've got the equipment, they've got permissions, they can do it. How are you, as a Christian, going to do it? Who is going to show their face on a Christian broadcast? Mm. It's not like radio, where you can remain anonymous. Sure, It's, it's difficult. And without the money, how much will it cost? And you'll be jammed, and so on, and so on, and so on. So it took three years of working with church leaders, listening to their fears and concerns and hopes for a potential satellite television channel, I mean, one of the people I met was Pope Schnuder of Egypt, and he didn't understand the technology, and so he kind of humored me a bit. (laughs) But um, when I'd left the meeting, his secretary at that time, Angelos, he he and the Pope spoke, and they said, well, it's wonderful that he's motivated like that, but this is a ridiculous idea. (laughs) It's not going to go anywhere. Today, that secretary, Angelus, is now Archbishop Angelus of the Coptic Church in London, wow. and he's the chairman of our international council, <laughs> so uh, he likes to tell that story. Yeah, yeah. There's
0: so many things I'd like to know more about, and our time is limited here, but what is the penetration? Who is the audience, and how are you able to reach so many people? Uh, I know it's via satellite, but do they subscribe to the service? Is it free? How does it work?
1: No, most of the satellite broadcasts in Arabic and Turkish and Farsi, less so in Turkish, are free to air. And they're heavily subsidized by political groups uh, or by religious groups. There are a few channels that are trying to make it commercially with, with advertising, but it's limited. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very competitive market. The Saudis especially have invested tens of millions. So of the Qataris from Qatar, the Emir there, the Al Jazeera channel is one of those yes. subsidized channels that gets a subsidy of over $200 million a wow. year.
0: Yeah, we see that in the US, right? Uh-huh.
1: Network. Yeah. I mean, the English channel is quite good, but the Arabic is quite negative. Hmm. So, um, essentially, the number of people with a satellite dish at home, and it's only a $60 installation with a tuna, has grown every year since The early 1990s. Even now, with the growth of internet and so on, and Sat7 itself has just launched an online portal so you can watch live online from anywhere in the world as well as on demand. And that's the first Christian such portal in Arabic, Turkish, and Farsi that's been uh, launched. But still, the number of satellite television receivers and viewers is huge. Over 95% of Arabic-speaking people have got the satellite dish at home. Even in Iran, the government admits that over 70% of the population are watching satellite television, and it's still illegal to have a dish in Iran.
0: Wow. And, and SET-7 so, reaches into Iran,
1: does it? Oh, absolutely. And Afghanistan. Since we've been on a new satellite that reaches, it's got a very, actually, concentrated footprint over the region, which means it's very high power. So you need a small dish, just maybe eight to nine inches across, is enough to get a good signal. And in a country where dishes are illegal, a little dish is wonderful yeah. to have. Yeah. So we've seen massive growth in the viewership in not only Iran but especially in Afghanistan in the last few days. And I hope uh, it's clear. Sorry, the last few years.
0: And I hope it's clear to our listeners that we're talking about programming that is faithful to the gospel. This is gospel proclamation that you're doing on set seven to all these millions of people in the Arab world, the Muslim world, prim- predominantly, right? That's watching this.
1: Oh, yes. And it's not like Christian television, that most Christian television that you see in the U.S. We don't sell our airtime. We don't carry sponsored programming. Most of our programming is made by Middle Easterners living in the Middle East. Iran is a bit difficult because we've, we did try making programs inside Iran, but we, the people got, Closed down, basically, and lost their equipment. Yeah. So we do some of that outside. Uh, the only things that we dub or subtitle from English or other languages are good movies, Christian movies, um, good Christian documentaries, and, of course, animation for children. So it's, it's a very rounded, balanced um, grid of programs that we have every day. We have programs for women, for youth. Uh, we have lots of attractive programming for kids on a separate 24-hour Arabic television channel. And the reason we put all the kids' programming on a separate channel is because we cover six times zones. So hmm. before, when we were trying to schedule kids' programming, you know, we, we'd scheduled it for Morocco, but the children in Bahrain had already gone to bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's very difficult. So we, we launched this separate channel. And it's had a wonderful reception, for, including from many Muslim parents. They say this is the only channel we can trust our children with because they know they won't be radicalized, they won't see acts of violence or horror. They see the peace in the, that it instills in the children, the creativity, the respect. You know, they're not rushing around beating up on their brothers and sisters like they do after watching, say, the Cartoon Network. in you know? mm-hmm. They are much more calm. Um, and especially those who live in war zones Mm -hmm. in Syria and so on. We've had wonderful testimonies from parents about how it's helped their kids deal with the trauma of losing relatives and Mm -hmm. daily bombings and so Mm -hmm. on.
0: And I realize we're talking about a broad geographical area, and there's a lot of different countries involved, a lot of different uh, cultural issues here, but are you seeing people come to Christ openly and certainly secretly as well, right?
1: Yes, sometimes through Visions and Dreams, they'll call our telephone council. We're actually handling over a thousand different interactions or different viewer responses every day now, uh, such as the number of people calling the Arabic channel or the Turkish channel or the Farsi language channel for Iran and Afghanistan. So this has continued to grow, especially through the the pandemic. Uh, I think people have been at home more, or perhaps they fuel their mortality more. But we've had a, a wonderful response, especially the last year, mm. from our viewers in mm. those three major languages, Arabic, Turkish, and Persian. It's
0: doing such a great job. But what's the future? What, what are you praying will happen next with SAT-7? And, and uh, Share a little bit of that vision with
1: us. Nobody really knows what the next big thing is going to be on the Internet you know we've had these you know wonderful amazing results with facebook and youtube and we're using whatsapp and we're using especially telegram with iran it's very secure and we're able to send bibles and videos and stuff through social media and we've just launched this new portal as i said so there's a lot of programming now available on demand and so on But we still have to remember that, and this is not a new expression by any means, content is king. And if we produce good content that speaks to people's needs clearly and deals with their attitudes and interests, then it will find audiences, whatever the platform that evolves in the future
0: that's Dr. Terence Ascot, the founder and president of Sat7, the television channel in the Middle East that is beamed in many Muslim countries. Sat7 has seen many Arab-speaking people come to faith in Christ, even in some surprising places. If you'd like to learn more, please visit firstpersoninterview.com and follow the links to Sat7. While this television ministry reaches deep into the Middle East, the Far East Broadcasting Company reaches many other countries of the world with radio and Internet programming, and there are amazing stories to be told of lives changed through the gospel message. To learn more about FEBC and its innovative programming through many local languages and dialects, visit febc.org. There are video testimonies there and our podcast until all have heard. febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next time for First Person.